This is Nolan John. We are here from Urban Digs, and we are talking Manhattan. And today I got Jonathan, the man, Helfer, <laughs> from Cats and Mats. Thank you. This is a long time coming for me, because, I mean, how long have I known you now? Pretty much since, honestly, since I got started in, uh, in the business. It's probably been 11 years. 11 years. 11 so years. It was, 2000, was it 2008? Around 2008. Okay, so you got in a tough time. Very tough time. Uh, I must have done a couple of dozen deals with you over the years. And, um, you know, you're an amazing attorney. You're very responsive. Um, you Thank see you. a lot of things. And I got an audience here of real estate agents, um, buyer clients, seller clients, and everyone interested in real estate. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. And I thought it would be a great idea to bring in an attorney to come in. Sure. So um, the first question I just want to ask you is, you've been through a few cycles. Well, you've been through this latest down cycle. What's going on today versus 2008, et cetera? Yeah, I, I mean, 2008, I would say, was a, I hate to use the term crash. Right. It was really a crash. There were no deals to be had. Okay, we went from, you know, from my personal experience, from having however many closings per week to having that, if we were lucky, for a month. I, I, right. I mean, there was really just no movement in the market. Mm-hmm. I would say the biggest difference is now, there's been a slowdown. Mm-hmm. Things are still moving. People are still buying. People are still selling. There is movement in the market. It's just what I would say is that transactions are taking much, much longer to actually come to fruition and even get into contract. Right. So a deal which I used to have sitting on my desk where if it was non-contract in three, four, five days, the seller's moving on to buyer number two. Right. There's absolutely 100% exceptions to this, mm-hmm. but for the most part, that contract may be sitting on my desk now for two weeks. Right. Buyers are taking their time. Right. Buyers, That's very interesting. The pressure that buyers used to have, they don't really have that to the greatest degree or the same extent anymore. So now a buyer's saying, you know what? When I'm comfortable with this, that's when I'll sign the contract. Right. And seller doesn't necessarily have two, three, four people behind them waiting in line to sign another contract. So right. as a result of that, I think transactions are, are taking How over. recent is that trend? Is that, I mean, was it like that two years ago or three years ago? Or is this like... No, this is a much more recent trend. Okay. You know, in terms of a time frame on it, right. maybe past six months. Uh-huh. Uh, mm-hmm. But definitely a more recent trend. It is not, uh, this has not been going on for years at this point. And, right. and granted, again, there are exceptions. I don't want people to think I could take my time totally. and, and wait yeah. to sign a contract there are definitely exceptions right. right but i guess on the buy side i mean there's a, typically the buyer once it's once it's sitting on your desk and you're doing your due diligence the buyer's kind of like yeah okay i'm waiting for you to do your due diligence no problem on the sell side though as you're saying in a few days they're saying hey listen i'm moving on to the next client but these days are you still getting pressure from the sell side? Is it, or is it much more tempered? Like, hey, just wanted to see where you are in it's the more, process. More of the latter. Okay. Because just the, the interest may not be there from other buyers. Right. So they don't want to scare away a buyer who is essentially ready, willing, and able to do this, who's just taking longer than everybody would necessarily like. And, and that's what I was thinking. I was thinking sellers are feeling a little timid. They don't want to just scare the rabbit away right when it's so close. And they've probably been through a long listing period. So what about new developments? I mean, do you see a lot of differences going on there? Absolutely. Um, so whereas in the past, if a buyer would ask for any concessions, mm-hmm. I'm a buyer going into new development, I want a, uh, I want the sponsor to pay my transfer taxes, a sponsor attorney's legal fee, any other, any other concessions, you know, maybe a price reduction from the Schedule A pricing, mm-hmm. they would have told you, we're moving on to the next buyer. Right. There was not even a discussion to be had, you know, in a strong market. This is not so, so new. I would mm-hmm. tell you this has been, you know, I'd say it's seen a change over the course of the past maybe a couple of years or so. Right. But... We are seeing a lot of concessions. I mean, this is every single sponsor, virtually every single building. Um, without getting too specific in terms of buildings, I would tell you most of our clients, when they come to, come to us, have asked for 
everything Mm -hmm. and they are getting a lot of those concessions i mean people are still looking to sell it costs the sponsor money to carry these apartments and i think they're being encouraged and i would say rightfully so by their brokers to ask for everything back back in 2008 was it like this no because remember 2008 a lot of it was buyers who had already entered into contract right. at the height, height, height of the market and yeah. waiting for these new buildings to go up. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was a different scenario. And then they, they were had, getting out of the deposits. They were trying to. Yeah. They were trying to. So then you had, you know, the market crashed and you had people who would put down all this money and right off the bat, they weren't closing for another year mm-hmm. and they knew, you know, you know, their asset was worth even less money and everybody's scrambling trying to get out, which right. isn't an easy thing to do. That's why you have contracts, obviously. Right. I just want to back up to what you said about, you know, your... On, on the attorney side, you're you're looking to to get a little bit extra from the from the sellers from the sponsors for the new developments for your clients, and I'm just curious where the dividing line is, and what I'd love to know what this looks like in terms of negotiation. How what, what can the broker do, and then at what point can they hand it off to the attorneys and say, hey, listen, we'd love a little more wiggle room on a, a storage container or, or or transfer taxes or something. Sure, I've seen, you know our job as the attorney is not really to negotiate deal points right. like that. So I would defer to the broker. I would have discussions with the broker, which we do. You know, brokers mm-hmm. will come to us and say, we want to ask for X, Y, Z. Do you think this is reasonable? What do you see? What's your experience? Yeah. And, you know, and we have those discussions, but it's not really our job, I would say, as the attorneys to go and negotiate those points. Uh, we do have clients come to us who go directly to the sales office, who are represented by agents, uh, and we can help guide them. Okay. But our job as the attorneys really isn't to say, I'm going to go back to the sponsor and I'm going to ask them to pay your transfer taxes, your right. mansion tax, right. the sponsor's attorney's legal fee. And I'll vouch for you because, I mean, you've, you've come back to me a couple of times. And, and, I, and I understand John's point because as a broker, sometimes you go through a rough listing period. And, I mean, you, you, you're at the tail end of it. You're five and a half months in. You're two weeks from expiration. And you finally get a deal on the table. And it's a shaky deal at the very least because now your seller's like, all right, I'll, I'll interact with that one buyer that I said no to two months ago but is still around waiting for a deal. And we pass it to you guys. And then they want – they want the chandelier or they want something included. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just see if the attorney will just kind of, just, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to even get involved anymore. You know, but I, you always said, no, man, this is all you and uh, I'll vouch for that. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's really just, and it's not running away or, yeah. or, or putting the onus on somebody else. It's right. really not what we should be doing as the attorneys. Right. Look, if it comes down to something small or something minor like that, mm. we can have a conversation with the other attorney about it. But for the most part, and we encourage brokers we work with, to the extent you can. Look, a lot of sellers don't disclose all these items up front. So right. we've all encountered situations where you have a seller say, I'm not taking anything, I don't want anything, and you know, now we're so far along in the negotiation processes, oh yeah, by the way, and, yeah. and John, we were discussing this, yeah. um, I am. I'm going to take all the lighting fixtures. Uh, because they're not getting the price they originally wanted, it, so they wanted to give yeah, them a Yeah, whether little. it's <laughs> spiteful, whether they forgot. Uh, right. You know, we have situations like that where we will get involved. We will have discussions with the other attorney. But we always do encourage uh, the brokers, the agents we work with, have those discussions up front with your clients. Yeah. To find out. You know, it's going to make everybody's life easier. It, 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 it really does. And that's, I yeah. think, another great topic that I'd love to talk about, which is things that, as, as an agent, you feel are complete deal killers, such as this, and things that, as an attorney, you're like, ah, oh, these, are, these are things that can be worked out. Well, I think, uh, how does the saying go? What's uh, the number one deal killer? It's uh, lawyers and lighting fixtures. Okay? <laughs> I, I, I can't say, I, can't say I, I, I agree with that. Um, and it really is, you know, it, it's transaction specific. Yeah. So whereas one buyer, one seller may turn around and say, that's a family heirloom. I need that. Okay, mm-hmm. I know I never disclosed it. I know I signed a contract and technically under the terms of my contract, it's included in this transaction. But blowing this up, it's not happening. I, I mean, it really depends on the value. And I use the lighting fixture just yeah. as a general example. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to depend on the intrinsic value of whatever it is that, that that particular seller is asking for after the fact, which should have been negotiated 
well in advance of this, you yeah. know? So it's really, and it's a two-step process. It's the agent speaking to his or her client, and it's also the attorney when you're going over the contract again saying, hey, by the way, here are all the things that are included, here are all the items that are excluded. Do you plan or intend on excluding any of these items? They must be specifically mentioned in our contract. Right. I mean, it's an interesting point that you see it on that side. From my point as, a, as an ex-broker, time, right? Time is, and non-responsiveness, you know, mm -hmm. that just drove me crazy. I mean, you work so hard and then you pass it out to an attorney and you don't hear from them for five days or four days. And they're like, oh, sorry, I was working on another deal or I was away something. I mean, at least let you know what's going on up front, you know? I mean, you were very responsive. You. I mean, to, to almost like, I mean, like within two minutes. Well, I mean, between, between the two of you guys, you guys are the fastest response times <laughs> I mean, well, for me, on the I mean, island here. Listen, I mean, I get like 250 emails a day at this right. point. Urban Digs is kind of doing a little crazy things. And if I don't get back to people immediately, mm -hmm. I cannot organize all of that. Right. You, I think you work the same kind of way. No, it's how we have to operate. But so it, so it doesn't make sense to me how someone that you hire just disappears off the radio. I mean, in my opinion, radio silence at the attorney level or at the broker level or the seller broker level, seller attorney level, and even management level with providing due diligence documents is a time, time's a deal killer. It's not only a deal killer, I, w I will say, even if it's, there's no real reason for it, you know, and, and we always say, we joke, we, the first thing we look at when we get a deal memo Who's the attorney on the other side? Yeah. And, yeah. and when it's, you know, Uncle Larry from New Jersey or the family's litigation attorney, right. we know it's not necessarily going to be the easiest transaction. And, right. and what happens is you're right. Number one, time does kill all deals. I know it sounds cliche, but it, it, it is true. And the other aspect to that is when somebody is not responding, there's an automatic presumption something is wrong. Right. Yes. They're not responding because they're negotiating behind the scenes. When in reality, when you're not working with people who really do this, who, who really should be responsive, it may just be a matter of, okay, you know what? I'm in court all day today. Yeah. I'll get back to you when I, when I have to. But that's right. not what your buyer is going to think. That's not what your seller is going to think. That's not right. what the other attorney is going to think. So I think there really is, it's imperative that, that you're responsive, even if it's, hey, sorry, sorry, your email. I'm out of the office right now. I'll, I'll get back to you as, as yeah. soon as I can. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of these buyers, it's the biggest financial and emotional investment they will ever make in their entire lives. Yeah. Okay? They need responses, and, and they deserve them. Um, you're spending millions of dollars to buy your, your home, they don't care that you're out of the office. Right. They need to know, I have a question about yeah. my investment. Right. What's going on? Can you help me out here? And, and right. I think it's important to, uh, to respond. In e even fashion. if it's an acknowledgement of receipt of the email and, and say, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for some due diligence documents. I'm waiting for management to get me access to the board minutes. I'm, exactly. There are things outside of your control. I mean, I've been, I've been down the block. I know, I know what it's mm -hmm. like, right? But just an acknowledgement, an email back in a timely manner saying, hey, I'm waiting for one document to have a review and then I'll have a conclusion for you. I'll get back to you tomorrow night. That goes so far because otherwise you have 48 hours of stress on the buy side and the sell side. Yeah. I'm just saying it's underappreciated. No, in a sense, it's managing expectations. So as, a, as an agent, you want to manage your, your client's expectations up front. Hey, here's what you can afford. As a seller, hey, here's what you can get. Right. But in this process, when it's fraught with uncertainty and, and silence means who knows what's going on, just reassure them. Hey, listen, I'm, don't, don't go into that dark, crazy place. Yeah. Yes. Everything's okay. <laughs> You're going to get a response a little later than, than you'd like. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's what it is. It, it really is just managing expectations, which is difficult when somebody's completely silent because right. it, then it's harder to say the guy's just really slow or she's just really slow they will get back to me you have to hear something right you know to give it that sense of life and, and it's and, very easy for your creativity to go in a very dark deep corner like right. i was saying very oh boy what's yes. going on here yeah. <laughs> i just want to jump back to the what we were talking about earlier and i just want to know like 
how I want to ask you about deal quality. Like what do deals look like now versus what they look like a couple of years ago? Uh, one of the things that we've been hearing on the show is that some co-op boards have actually been a little bit more strict. And I wonder if you could talk to that a bit. Sure. And I could tell you two things. Number one, we've seen co-op boards um, definitely become a little more strict. And the flip side to that is we've also seen condo boards become more strict and try to act more like co-ops. So whereas a co-op board would have the ability to impose a condition on yeah. a buyer. Buyer, you know what? We really like you and we want to approve you, but we're only going to approve you if you put one or two years worth of maintenance in escrow, for instance. Some right. condi- mm-hmm. And they have the ability in their bylaws. They, they have, the, you know, it's enumerated where they are able to do that. Condos, which they do sometimes, so I don't want to, you know, say never, almost never have the ability in their underlying governing documents to do that, but they will make life very difficult. So they may come back and say, no, we know we're a condo. We know we have a you know right of first refusal. We're either buying the apartment mm-hmm. or letting you sell the apartment. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to issue our waiver. We'll issue our waiver if you agree to put a year's worth of common charges in escrow. Mm-hmm. And you know the buyer's attorney, if I'm on the buy side, I said, well, I read through the bylaws. Show me in your bylaws where you're empowered to do this. And, and you know the the kind of off the record answer that we always get is, we're not. You know, fight us on this, uh, but we're just going to. Delay, delay, delay until somebody caves and gives in. Right. So I'm not going to say that that is prevalent, mm-hmm. but I've definitely seen more of that than we have in the past where you have these condo boards truly exceeding their powers and their capabilities. Uh, Interesting. And, on a and, is it, and is it for the same reason that a co-op would, would want to sort of uh, not qualify a buyer, which is a mainly a financial reason, either that or a low purchase price? I would think so. Okay. You know, again, and that reasoning is never never disclosed to us right. for the most part, but I, I would imagine... For discrimination just, reasons, I should add, right? That's mainly why they don't say anything about that's it. That's usually why they won't say anything okay. under any circumstance. And yeah, and we, and we have seen co-op boards just become a little more strict. I think there's... And it's not necessarily founded. I'd say it's partially unfounded. This fear, just given the current state of the market mm-hmm. and, and political changes, uh, that, you know, people are going to potentially have a problem making their payments, and co-op as a result of that, consequently, is, is going to have a problem making their own payments. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like I said, I don't know if it's actually founded, but we are seeing more and more of that, and, and particularly, like I said, on the condo side, which is, which is interesting. Very interesting. Um, this, is, this is great. I want to uh, talk about some other um, standards here, just, just so if there's buyers out there listening, um, what to expect. You know, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty about this. Just uh, when you get involved as doing due diligence for a co-op or a condo, you really want a Manhattan broker familiar with Manhattan co-op and condo Absolutely. law. Like going outside, it's a little different world. But you get the contract of sale from the seller. You get the board minutes or access to the board minutes. You get financials, two years building financials, uh-huh. offering plan. Is that basically it, those four items? Those are, I would say, the standard. So what mm-hmm. happens is, right, the seller's attorney will draft the contract, and now I'm, I'm speaking from the buy side. Mm-hmm. will send us the initial draft of the contract. The seller's agent will, will send us the offering plan, uh, the two years financials, and then we will contact management to review the board minutes. In mm-hmm. addition to that, um, you know, we have, and, and most attorneys do, when you represent a buyer and you're familiar with, with this market, uh, a 50-point a questionnaire which we'll send to the management company in which we ask very specific questions. Because I will say, more often than not, the board minutes, mm-hmm. w- intentionally or not, and sometimes it is from a liability perspective, are not going to be filled with substantive information. Yeah. They are a potential liability, God forbid the board would get sued. Right. So they will discuss you know, monetary issues, improvements, I'm looking, is there anything going on in the neighboring units in the building? Mm-hmm. They're not going to be all-inclusive, and, and that's intentional. And I always told my clients with board minutes, and, and please don't forget your point, but um, I always told my clients, listen, this is what's in the board minutes is what the board decides to put in those minutes. Exactly. If they're thinking about doing a roof, and that's like a year and a half away. They could just say, all right, guys, let's just wait on this a little bit. 
And if you're a buyer, you're not going to have that knowledge because, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just how it is. That's how right. it is. But that's why we also send in this questionnaire. So as right. part of the questionnaire, for instance, we're going to ask, are there, you know, confirm the current, I'll, I'll go with the call-up, for instance, uh, mm-hmm. confirm the current maintenance. Are there any planned maintenance increases, assessments, planned assessments, and then we'll get into capital improvements. Right. So not necessarily is there, and we'll, we will ask the question, is there anything underway at this time? Is there anything planned? Mm-hmm. So if there was discussion about replacing the roof, replacing the boiler, um, that should show up in the questionnaire. So between the questions we're asking on our questionnaire, in addition to that, the sublet policy, the washer-dryer policy, the PET policy, right. uh, the last time the building had facade inspected because facade work can potentially be a very expensive project. Right. Between all that information in conjunction with the financial statements um, and the board minutes, we gather as much information as we can so you have a general sense of the bigger picture of what you're buying into. And due diligence usually takes the course of about four to six business days, depending on how yeah. fast everyone is in getting you the materials you need. I would say around three to five days. Three and five the businesses. longest part of that is the managing agent's responsiveness. Right. Mm-hmm. So remember, we're now relying on an outside third party, the management company, mm-hmm. to answer these questions for us. And you know, one thing people should know, they've all gotten smart and now they all charge a fee to answer these questionnaires. Right. Okay, so that doesn't inert to the attorneys by any means whatsoever. Uh, on the buy side. Okay. So the buyer's attorney is going to send his or her questionnaire to the management company. They're going to say, sure, we're going to answer your questions, but send us a check first for anywhere between typically $150 and $300. Because they've all gotten smart. They all know all these, all these attorneys are sending the questionnaires. So their attitude is, let's make, let's make a few dollars okay. off, uh, off this. I get it. Stuff. It makes sense. Yeah. And building financials. Uh, give me some – most buildings operate flat, Correct. Not which correct. is which is on purpose. Okay, so they're people, not in the business of making. You got to tell. I get, when I used to have buyers tell me, "You tell me this building's not operating at a profit," and I'm like, it, it, "It's meant not to act." That's uh, correct. Profit. It's a flat thing. This isn't this isn't your uh, corporation like Microsoft, right. where the end game is let's make as much money as possible. Right. They will have tax consequences and other problems if they start operating with a huge surplus. Right. Okay. So what we do look at though, we do want to see over the course of the past few years, have they been operating with the surplus? Or are they operating at a deficit? Mm-hmm. Um, we, as strange as it sounds, no, we don't want to see a building making millions and millions of dollars every year. Uh-huh. There's potential problems. Uh, you know, what about at a loss? At a loss isn't necessarily, it's not the worst thing in the world either. Okay, mm-hmm. We just want to see, is there a history of losses? Is there a reason for this? Are they not budgeting to meet their, you know, to meet their operating expenses right. on an annual basis, or did they, okay, you know, in 2017, was there a big project that they had to uh, take over, right. in which they had to spend a lot of money, and as a result of that, they operated a loss. So it, it's really, you have to look at the history. You can't just say, this year was a loss, this building's terrible, they don't know how to operate financially, Right. don't buy here. Gotcha. <sighs> any, any final questions? This is just an overload. No, I, 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 I guess the last question I had is, you know, one of the things that we notice is that... You, it's a this market's price point specific, neighborhood specific, building specific, and I'm curious if it's the same way on the contract side, the due diligence side. If as the price goes up, the due diligence changes. Like the contracts get a little more bespoke, and the the time takes a little bit longer. You know, I would, I would say the answer really is no. Um, That's so whether it's a three hundred thousand dollars studio or you know fifteen million dollar penthouse, there's still going to be the same amount of due diligence, the same amount of work involved in that, uh, the same amount of attention given to that file. So it, you're still looking for the same things. There will be some specifics. So you know maybe that $15 million uh, penthouse has uh, uh, a rooftop and, right. and a slide that goes down in a pool, a swimming pool, whatever it may be. You have to look into s- some specifics that you wouldn't have on another transaction. Right. But for the most part, the level of due diligence is actually going to be 
pretty much pretty much the same. Oh, do, you I, guys, do you guys touch on air rights or anything like that when you're looking at these kind of things? Or We, we do. So we'll have clients who will ask us specifically, this is my view. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure it's protected forever. Right. And the honest answer to that question, we can do as much due diligence as you want us to. We can actually hire an outside third party who could do even more extensive due diligence. The only guarantee you'll ever have to make sure your view is protected forever, for the most part, is buying the water or buying the park. And I know people don't like to hear that, right. but that's the truth. I mean, even if you're not permitted to build in a certain spot, that doesn't mean you can't apply for a variance. Right. Things happen. Um, but, the, but the chances of them knocking, I mean, the, the realistic chances of them knocking down a, a mature operating building, that's, that's like, so let's say that, that you clear the view, right? And there's a mature operating building at 20 floors and you're at the 30th floor. I don't want those people getting scared thinking that, oh my God, that building's going to go down. I'm going to lose my view in 10 years. I mean, that doesn't really happen that often. It's unlikely. Yeah. It's unlikely. It really is. Right. Yeah. Um, crazy things like let's say I'm a buyer and I go online and I check the government that website and the violations and the complaints and I get oh my god there's 25 open violations there's plumbing viol there's a lightning strike there's a fire code and <laughs> and, and you've yeah. always you've always told me like this this is the kind of stuff that sounds bad and freaks buyers out and at the end of the day is not uncommon at all so just really quick yep yeah absolutely if you found a building that was squeaky clean yeah. I'd be more concerned. Okay, so the, because of this line, <laughs> these things happen. Uh, elevator violations. You know yeah. what? There may be an ECB violation because somebody left the garbage out, right? Or, or put it out an hour before it was supposed to be put out for collection, and now right. you know the Department of Sanitation rolls by and says, "Oh, you know, issues of violation." So there are absolutely things that happen. Where it's more important is just taking a look at what the violations are. And more importantly, making sure nothing's against a particular apartment itself. That's right. a whole nother story. Gotcha. Um, so that's something that, that would be a little more serious that would definitely have to be addressed. But to find a building that was so clean, it had no violations, no problems whatsoever. It's just rare. It's such a rarity, I, I would almost be more concerned. And, and for that. the record, you have turned people. You, I've gotten phone calls from you, even though it sucks. <laughs> I've gotten phone calls from you in the field. Noah, it's Jonathan. Uh, it always starts the same way. Uh, I'm like, oh, God, hit me with it. He's like, I'm going to have to tell your client that I just don't like some things here. So you are the kind of attorney that you will tell buyers to just, I don't like some things here. You make your own decision, but I'm giving you what my That's what ultimately comes down to. So it's, right. it's our job to provide the buyer with as much due diligence, as much information as possible, right. and then allow that buyer to make an informed decision, an educated decision as to whether or not this is the right investment. Right. So I would never tell a buyer... Buy here, don't buy here. That right. is not my job. Right. I need to make sure I get them as much information as possible, educate them on what this means, what that means. Right. And then really it's, it's on them to say, I get it, I understand it, but I'm still comfortable. Or, you know, we, we've had situations where buyers say, yeah. no, you know, I, I'm too uncomfortable with this. I don't want to do this. And I, I don't feel comfortable moving forward signing the contract. And, and, and that's your job doing your job and the purpose of the buyer. Just it, it, everything all fits into place in that scenario. Even though it's a negative scenario, it lets the buyer move on to buy something. That, that yeah. And better. you know, one of the things I always say about that, if you're mm-hmm. honest as an agent, yeah. okay, as opposed to just saying sign, 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 yeah. um, I think there's a much greater likelihood that a buyer or seller is going to come back and use you I and like, continue to use I like to just say, look, you got you got your agent that's working for you, you got your attorney that's working for you, you got your lender that's working for you. And at the end of the day, all three people have their jobs and they have their, their skill set and their expertise. And you know, most importantly, the realm of normalcy. So what I would tell my client is Jonathan's going to tell you normalcy. Is this a normal thing? It sounds bad, but you know what? This is a quite normal thing. Right. It's not a major concern. Oh, this is really bad. You know what? This is really weird and abnormal, and this doesn't happen that often. So I'm telling you that up front. And that's 
that makes you make an informed decision. So that, that's so. exactly what it comes down to. Yeah. This has been fantastic. Jonathan Hell for Cats and Maths, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, guys. This is Noah and John. We are Talking Manhattan, and we'll see you next time. Thank you again.